This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Mindy race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And let's talk about layoffs. There are a number of teams, uh, especially in the NHL, that are laying off or reducing the pay for a number of players, such as the Devils and the Canadiens. Yeah, well, Barr, I think the biggest example we saw was Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, of course, uh, majority owned by Josh Harris, the Apollo Global co-founder, uh, owns the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, and the Prudential Center. And you can't think of a worst-case scenario, or a worst-case scenario for an owner than to own a building and two professional sports teams amid this coronavirus outbreak because none of it is happening. There's no concerts. There's no Disney on ice. There's no nothing. So Josh Harris had initially planned to ask some of his employees to take a pay cut during the outbreak. Let's just say that did not go over well on social media, and it did not take long for Harris, who, by the way, has a net worth of about $4 billion, to put out a statement saying, I made a mistake. Uh, it can't just be business as usual in these times, and I apologize. He actually said, I apologize for the mistake and looks as if he's going to wind up paying everybody the full salary. Uh, quite a turnaround, been from, from the news coming out to when he backtracked. Yeah, I think the crazy thing about this story to me is that the Devils were one of the first teams a week ago, two weeks ago, to say – we're going to be paying our, our hourly workers and our event staff uh, at, at a time when, you know, not all the teams were saying that it, it drew some good publication for them. Um, and then, you know, flash forward a week or, or 10 days, whatever the distance is. And then, you know, the devils come out with this statement that they then have to backtrack. You know, I think we're at this point now where almost all, certainly not all, but I think almost all of the sports teams are at least backstopping their hourly workers for now. I do wonder, you know, if this, continues to drag on you know once the season would have ended once the playoffs maybe would have started was the team going to make the playoffs I do think that that we're going to rapidly approach a point where more teams are going to be making the decision to stop the backstop but at least for now I think obviously the right thing to do especially if you're a billionaire as Josh Harris is his net worth around 4.3 billion dollars um, if you're a billionaire, I think it's it's pretty much table stakes right now to be providing for, for the, the hourly workers who are not working when, when your games are canceled. So, Barr, what do we think of the Montreal Canadiens parent company that's laying off 60% of the workforce? I'm amazed that that has not happened to other teams. And I know it's a cruel thing to be laid off. But if you're not getting any income at all, uh, it, it seems that that could be a, an avenue that a lot of teams might take, uh, even though, uh, yes, it's nice to have good PR, but this can happen. I mean, I know my uh, stepdaughter, she got laid off uh, from her job, and it, it really is a sad thing. So anybody going through this, 
uh, and the hearts go out to you because uh, trying to make money uh, and keep your house and put food on the table, it's a tough thing. And the question I have, is it fair? And I'm not saying yes or no, I'm asking the question. Is it fair for an owner to want to look at the business entity, and let's just take Josh Harris as an example, can he remove the New Jersey Devils from the entire portfolio, from everything else he does, and just say, I need to do what I need to do for this business to at least break even? Or is that asking too much in an extraordinary time where you perhaps say, uh, this is not business as usual, and I cannot think that's fair? I don't, I don't know if, you, if, if fair is the, the right word for it, but it, it, it's a business. And, and I think of the automobile industry, if something happens to disrupt the supply for making automobiles, people are going to get laid off. And it, it's, it's a, again, it's a cruel thing, but it's something that happens. It's, I hate to say it, it's a business. Yeah, it's a business and, you know, it's fair. It's certainly Josh Harris owns an asset and he's allowed to do kind of whatever he wants with the asset. Um, but again, I think that in in times like this, when you are that wealthy and the people who are working for you are that, is the, the 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 difference is so large that yes, I think the right the right thing to do is to dip into maybe your own pockets to help pay for that. Let me ask you this: the NHL also asking its employees to take salary cuts. Now the NHL gets its funding from league wide revenue. I mean, that's the collection of all the owners. Could, could or should all the owners pony up to keep the league employees at full scale? I think it's an interesting question. I would argue that you're potentially talking about a less endangered status of the workforce about league office personnel versus the person who takes out the garbage at the Prudential Center at the end of every Devils, at the end of every Devils game or end of every concert. You know, so I mean, I think there's a, I think it would be obviously be great. It would be a nice gesture if they did that. Again, I think it may be a little less incumbent on on them to do it in that way. If you're thinking about just maybe social impact and social good, um, but I think it's great that we're having these conversations. I think it's great that, you know, Josh Harris, at least to his credit, made a decision and then read the the, the backlash, saw what his fans were saying, saw what his co-owners were saying, saw what the media was saying, and then at least accepted that he was wrong. I think that's uh, that's progress as well. Again, I do think that we're eventually at some point possibly going to hit a point where owners are going to have to say financially or for other reasons enough is enough. Um, but I think at, at least at this point, you know, two weeks into the NHL season being suspended, um, I think we're still in that period where, where, where billionaire owners should be, should be doing what they can to, to backstop their workers. Speaking of billionaire owners, Steve Ballmer, and he has a deal to buy the form. Let's talk about that. Yeah, uh, I think Bar, the important part of this story is not that Ballmer bought the form. It's that it resolves the legal fight that it was keeping him from building a new arena for the Clippers in Inglewood, joining the Kroenke Project. That's the significant here. If you need the headline, the bold, that's what we've got here. That Steve Ballmer, who we know, you called him a billionaire owner, he's a multi-multi-billionaire <laughs> owner. Uh, Steve has the cash to build this world-class, state-of-the-art, basketball-only facility in Inglewood. And uh, Jim Dolan, who owned the forum, 
was standing in his way. What this does clears the path for Bomber to have his new building. Pretty nice to spend all this money, hundreds of millions of dollars, just to clear a, a legal headache for uh, for for a billion dollar uh, project that you want to do. <laughs> Well, let's see how it worked out for him, though. I mean, first of all, it's a really great deal for Jim Dolan and MSG. A great deal. All in, they were in for like $100 million. For Yeah, selling for $400 million, we should say, so there's good ROI. But they are going to keep the forum open as a concert venue. And a quick look at venues now uh, tells me that the forum was number seven in ticket sales last year. That's not bad. I feel like every time we've had a number of owners of LA teams on the podcast and every time one of them comes on we ask the same question is LA getting saturated there's two new NFL team there's a new MLS stadium there's going to be a brand new state of the art NFL uh, NFL stadium the, the, the Clippers are going to be building a new arena the forum's going to stay open at some point do we just hit a saturation point or is LA just that big of an entertainment mega hub that just having more and more brand new state-of-the-art venues doesn't actually affect any of them from a financial standpoint. Well, Evan, you and I have talked about this. I, I think it's always interesting to approach it from the fact of, let's say I'm Taylor Swift and I'm going on tour. I want to know, how do I decide which venues I want to play? Is it simply who's going to pay me the most money to do it? Because if you're in New York, let's say you've got Barclays Center, You've got MSG, you've got Prudential nearby, you've got a new arena coming on for the Islanders, you've got the Nassau Coliseum. Now, of course, so many of those were tied to L.A. as well. Uh, do I play Staples? Do I play the Forum? Am I going to play this new building, that Balmer's building? What's the difference, and how do I can get convinced to pay the venue? I, I'm not sure, but it's, a, it's an excellent question worthy of asking is what is the saturation point, and who wins and who loses? And finally, let's talk about the Olympics or no Olympics, this summer. And it eventually was going to happen, uh, and they had a meeting earlier this week. Uh, the Japanese uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe made a call to the IOC head, and they talked, and they said, okay, we're going to put the games off for a year. Now, it, for athletes, I, I know they're disappointed, but many athletes also say, we get it, we understand. The question is, for our purposes, for Tokyo, what does it mean for their economy? Bad things, I think, is the easy answer. I mean, I think this is this is not a good result if you're uh, if you're if you're Tokyo. Um, you know, obviously, hundreds of millions. I think the the estimate was six hundred million foreigners that were supposed to come to town this summer. You know, countless you know billions that have been invested in the infrastructure. I think the big question now is. How much of that just translates over to next year? You know, the IOC has said these games will be held at some point in the in the first half of 2021. Uh, do you get the same amount of foreigners coming in? Do you get the same amount of Japanese citizens who want to go to games? If the furor around the 2021 Summer Games is the same as what was expected or would have been around the 2020 Summer Games, I think a lot of people end up getting made whole. Not everybody, but a lot of them. If in some way the postponement and maybe even the virus or the lingering effects of the global pandemic affect the, uh, the, the enthusiasm for the Olympics next year, then you're talking about a much, much bigger financial hit for the companies involved and certainly the city and the country of Japan. Am I taking the easy way out, Eben, to say there are just so many more questions than answers at this point? Uh, the marketing deals that were supposed to expire 
uh, in 20 will now be extended. However, new deals for the following Olympics have already been signed. So you have conflicting companies in the same category now involved. Uh, you have NBC now needs to change the broadcast schedule. And what about all the advertising that it has sold already? Uh, are you getting the same bang for a buck at a different time of year? Uh, again, question, question, question. I don't believe we'll have any significant answers until we actually see how it shakes out, right? No, you're right. And I, I mean, I'll toss some more questions out there. Millions of hotel nights that were booked, you know, five years in advance that are probably in hotels that already have bookings for next year. And then a number of venues that are, you know, mega exposition halls that have, you know, other conferences or other, you know, toy toy festivals or robot festivals that are already booked for their venues next year. Clearing just the, the infrastructure within the games, let alone your caterers, your event spaces, the all the temporary structures that sponsors wanted to build on the ground there that were going to be set up and then torn down or sold to new renters. The athlete village is to me a great example. Also, they were going to take the athlete village and turn it into one of the biggest condo projects Tokyo has ever seen. And they already sold a number of those condos for people to move into in 2023. I would imagine that, that a year extension on athlete village means that maybe those, those condos aren't ready to be moved into when, when people who bought them for million plus dollars uh, thought they would. You know, there's so many questions. You're right, Scott. And, and a lot of them may get answered kind of soon, but I think a lot of them are just going to be open question marks for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten months. Talk about question marks. There are other big summer events also scheduled. The Tour de France, it's still, they're crossing their fingers that it will still go on. Uh, and if they do hold it, they'll hold uh, a pared back version of it. Uh, it, but it's unclear what's going to happen. And one manager for the uh, Belgium uh, cycling team says, if you cancel the Tour de France, cycling is going to take a major hit. Well, for sure. It's for the sure. premier event of, in the sport. Absolutely. But if you look at what's going on in totality, uh, they're in no better or worse shape, I would say, than anybody else. Because people are right now, they're, they're factoring in all these cancellations. Will it get rerun? Maybe, maybe not. Can it be run at another time? Maybe, maybe not. But we know things like the NCAA tournament, like that was wiped out. That is not like we'll do it two months from now. It's over. It's gone. It will never happen. But something tells me next year's tournament will still be just as popular. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soshnick and Evan Novi-Williams. We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week. We're speaking with DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins about what to do when you run a sports betting company and there are no sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.